are in the middle of a series called Relational Formation. And uh, last week, I got to speak. I got to speak two times in a row. That's kind of fun. I'm not sure the last time that happened. But uh, it's great because they're actually pretty similar last week and this week, and we're going to build on it. I guess that's, you know, any series. But particularly this week, uh, it's great to be able to have these back-to-back because I think we're going to be able to unpack what we talked about last week even more. There'll be a little bit of repeats, but that's okay because I think um, maybe there are some of you who weren't here last week. That's fine. And it bears repeating anyway. So I'm just going to pray and then we'll begin. Uh, Father, uh, we come before you and just we want to hear from you and your word. And we just we come before you uh, wanting to just drink up what you would have from your word and, and, and your spirit speaking to us. And so, God, I just, uh, yeah, that, there, that this place would just be distraction free, that there would be focus, uh, focus on you and what you would have to say to us. Not focus on words, but focus on um, what you're doing in our hearts through your spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so last week we talked a lot about beliefs and truth and why they're super important. And that's kind of like an obvious thing to say. It's like, oh, truth is important. It's like, yeah, but why? Um, what about truth is so important to believe in? Like, ultimately, uh, why is it important to have beliefs and truths that are centered in our hearts that are so centered and so part core of who we are that they would actually dictate our actions? Like, truths that are so real that they'd actually shape our lives. I don't know about you, but sometimes I have like, um, there's a stand-up comedian who used to call, uh, who used to call the, th- the, the things that he believed were true, that they were like his believies. They're like little cute things that he believes, but they don't actually shape his life. It's like, oh, you know, I have all these like little believies that I like. It's like, oh yeah, I believe that I should be a good person, and I believe that I should give to the poor, and I believe that I should, I don't know, make some baskets, <laughs> right? Like they're little believies. And then when a push comes to shove, it's like, well, I don't want to do that because that's annoying. But it's kind of funny, right? Like we have, sometimes we have, do we have truth in our hearts or do we just have warm and fuzzy believies? I got lots of those. So truth's really key, and we're going to keep unpacking why that's important today. Uh, The next three weeks we're going to spend on truth, and then there's three aspects of it, and today is about awareness, okay? So how do we find truth? A big part about centering truth in our hearts, finding what's real, Um, what's going to center ourselves is actually being honest and aware about what we already believe. And uh, awareness is kind of a funny word. But I don't know about you, but a lot of the time I can go through a lot of my life and not actually examine the truths that I'm centering myself on. Like I I can walk around and not really have a moment where I check what I'm believing that's ultimately true in a moment. Usually most days I'm just reacting to my feelings and circumstances and trying to tweak my behavior and everything. But very rarely do I like stop and go, okay, what do I actually believe is true about life and the universe and God and like what's centering me? So awareness is a big deal to kind of stop and pause and go, let me think for a second. What's going on? What do I believe? Who am I? So this is part one, awareness. Uh, So here's what we kind of need to talk about first is that Uh, here's the reason why I feel like we don't do the whole awareness check a lot of the time is because, I don't know about you, but I kind of like the darkness and the fog sometimes. I kind of have like an affinity towards just the the boring kind of gray, not really self-examining, not really asking the deeper questions, just kind of keeping everything in the dark and using the tools that I know. They don't work super well, but like at least I know how they work. And we kind of just live in darkness a lot of the time. We don't do an examination of our heart. We don't stop and go, hold on here. Like, what, what is actually true enough to shape the way that I act? 
I don't, I don't know. I just, I like the darkness sometimes. It's comforting. As I was uh, writing this down, um, this whole idea of like, we just like darkness and we like, there's something about being sheltered away from eyes. You know, like, shut the door. This is just me inside my own head. I don't really want to open the door to let God kind of say, oh, I don't know if you really believe that. I don't really want to let other people in. That's sometimes even harder. Uh, we like the darkness. And I was reminded of the story of uh, when I was like 11, 12, 13, um, I don't know, like most 12-year-old boys, I loved Star Wars. Like, Star Wars was just awesome. And I remember in, like, 1997, so that would have made me nine, the special edition, the 25-year anniversary of the first Star Wars came out, and it was a VHS box set, and it was gold, and it had Darth Vader's face, like, embossed on the outside. And I got that thing for Christmas. I watched those VHS tapes I don't know how many times. But so I'm, I'm, I'm 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 watching these things at nauseam, which makes Toby, my little brother, like two, three, four, five, right? So, of course, he loves Star Wars, and uh, uh, just as much as I do, and um, Toby's a unique kid, if you know him, and so he, uh, he, he, one time, he's like, he comes up to my uh, parents, and he says, and I'm sitting there, too, and he's going, uh, he says, I want to play, I want to play, like, Star Wars, I want to act out Star Wars stuff, and I was like, oh, that's cool, what do you want to act out, and he's like, I want to play on the dark side, we're just like, Ooh, like chills. Like, what? <laughs> like, that's creepy. I'm like, Toby, come on. You're going to ruin Star Wars for me. Now mom and dad are going to take it away because you want to, you know, be a Sith Lord. And uh, uh, shoot, you're ruining this, ruining this for me. But what we actually discovered was that he just meant going into his room and turning the lights off. <laughs> that's, that's all he meant. <laughs> playing, playing with his toys with the lights off. That's what the dark side meant to him. So that was a little more benign than we thought. But I think that there's a... It's funny how our, like, my heart jumped towards, like, oh, Toby wants to be evil. But, like, it, it makes sense because I, there's, there's actually a strong affinity towards that kind of darkness in our lives. Like, there's something appealing about shadows. There's something appealing about not really being aware of what's truly going on. I don't know, but it's a fog. And so there's something about that that we like, I think, the mystery of it. Maybe it feels comfortable or something. I don't know. But I often retreat to the shadow. So John 3:19 says this. Uh, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Well, that kind of just says it straight up. Hey, it's like, well, if you want to do evil deeds, you love the darkness because it's harder to see what you're doing in there. Of course, God sees it, and it's hard to keep those things boxed up for very long. But there's something about the darkness that we like, and I think it's because we just really enjoy our sin a lot of the time, and it meets a lot of our needs, temporarily at least, and so we kind of like to retreat to the shadow because it just makes sense, and it's kind of comfy. Uh, I'm going to read just a, a section of um, uh, the book that, that we're basing the series off of, that we're reading through and Multiply, and uh, um, Dad just said it best in this, like, I was reading it, and I was like, oh, that was good. I'm just going to read this out. I'm just going to read a portion of the book because it ended up being quite poetic. So uh, this, is, this is just says it really well. So I think it should be on the screen. Yeah. <clears throat> Darkness is comforting. It is a warm patch quilt of emotional explanations, delightful distractions, and sincere lies sewn together to protect us from a cold reality. It is a cocoon that we paint on the inside, full of caring faces who accept us as we are. Their soft affirmations lull us into feeling safe and understood. In contrast, reality feels harsh, like a legal letter, a winter blizzard, or a self-portrait without makeup. Dang, Dad, that was good. I was like, really, I was like, wow, he's a poet. 
I didn't know. But uh, there's something about that that I really like. Is I love the idea of painting the inside of a cocoon with just warm faces that are just accepting us just the way we are. And, of course, we pick those faces that are extra accepting and won't challenge us. And we kind of just paint the inside of our little cocoon because the outside world in the light just feels kind of cold and harsh and vulnerable. So... Problem is, is that honesty is super important for change. That's the, this whole series is based on how do we actually change, like not just behavior modification, but have our hearts, you know, be transformed by Jesus. And uh, honesty is just super important for you. Can't change if you're not honest about where you are. It sounds so basic, but it's really, really true. Um, the, a good example of this that comes up a lot because it's a great example is this, the idea of Alcoholics Anonymous. They have this really strange thing that you can't go to Alcoholics Anonymous unless you've been sober for, I don't know how long it is, like a month or maybe longer actually, which is kind of bizarre. Like, isn't, isn't Alcoholics Anonymous supposed to be for people who are struggling with drinking? Like, even AA knows that unless there's a will to be honest for just a minute about the fact that you have a problem, we can't actually change. AA, AA knows that. And so it's kind of bizarre. It's like sober for a month before you go. That's crazy. It's not really about the time frame. It's about is there a willingness in your heart to be honest about the fact that there's a problem here? That's what the, that's what the little period's for. So uh, I had this, uh, well, I'll just read this verse. Revelation 3.17 says this. Um, uh, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. It's just it's kind of offensive. But given the, given, the, uh, given the objective of actual heart transformation, uh, we're like, oh, I'm rich. I'm fine. It's, life's not going all that bad. And, and then Scripture's kind of going, um, there's a bigger thing going on. I'm trying to bring my kingdom and make you perfect through my sacrifice on the cross. Like, you're actually blind and poor and naked. Like, given a certain objective of actual change and love and transformation. I, um, we had an awesome day yesterday. Uh, we, uh, we went, uh, the, the Multiply uh, class, many of us went out to, to UBC to learn about just putting basically our faith in action and learning how to die to ourselves uh, of our own fear of man and those sorts of things. And so we learned about that for the morning and then for a couple hours in the afternoon, we just went and asked to pray for people on campus or share Jesus with people. It's, it's always so fun. It sounds so scary. And then every time I do it, I'm always like, man, that was rewarding. Even if nothing happens, it's just like it's fun to walk hand in hand with Jesus just being totally emptied of my own self for a sec. It just feels great. So... Um, we had a couple great stories, uh, but I'll say the, the, the time that um, Haley and I got rejected <laughs> was we just went up to this guy, and I was like, hey, we're just a bunch of friends going around campus wondering if there's anything we could pray for you for. That's, that's my intro usually. And he says, no, I'm fine. And I'm like, I'm like, really, man? Like, I just, like, you push one little time, right? And you're like, really? Because free prayer, dude. Like, I'm just, I don't know. This is free prayer. Who, who wants to turn down free prayer? It's midterms, isn't it? And he's like, yeah, but I'll get through them. <laughs> I just thought that was so funny. He was like, I'll get through them. Don't worry. I don't. Bye. And I kind of walked away being like, you don't realize maybe my intro is bad, right? Like I'm setting him up wrong. But there's this something else going on. Like, shoot. I was like, I walked away like, oh, I'm not thinking about midterms at all. I'm thinking about like your heart and your knowing, the, knowing who you were created to know. <laughs> there's a bigger problem going on. So maybe my cell's a little too soft off the top. But I remember thinking, there's a way of being okay. Like, I'll get through it. I'm fine. And then Revelation saying, you say I am rich and I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize 
blind and naked, <laughs> given the objective of perfection anyways. So the fact is, is the darkness is just super destructive. Um, I'm going to put some verses up here uh, that kind of just drive that home. Yeah, Psalm, uh, it says this, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away though my, uh, through my groaning all day long. So the darkness is comfortable, but we know the feeling of just sitting in it, and it kind of starts to eat away at you. We all know that. I think we all know that feeling too. Uh, Jeremiah 23, 24 says, Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth? So we kind of believe this lie that there's darkness and we can retreat to it. Of course, we know that it kind of wastes, our bones waste away in that place of, ugh, I don't really want to be real. And then simultaneously, God's like, who can hide? Like, I, you can't hide from me. I'm, I'm right here trying to reach you. And uh, those two realities are happening at the same time. So what we're going to do today uh, with the time we have left, is I just want to go through like three quick things that, I help, that help us practice being honest and aware about what's really going on inside our hearts. Um, just three things. First one is uh, risk transparency. Risk transparency. Now, this is scary stuff because I think we fear judgment, right? But why, would, why do we like the darkness? Is because, well, at least I'm, I don't feel judged there because nobody can see it. So how do we risk Risk transparency. Uh, 1 John 4.18 says this. You can put it up there. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So I, I, get, I get why we fear because there's been many times in probably all of our lives where we've risked transparency and we've, and we've said what's really going on in our hearts and we were just judged hard for it by the people around us. And it didn't go well. Being transparent hurt a lot because you were known and then who you trusted to know you didn't love you in that knowing. I think that's happened to all of us. We probably all have an example of that. And so I get why we fear risking transparency because we all have an example of where it didn't go well. But this is why I have to come back to scripture. John 3.17 says this, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So uh, transparency is not so much about airing out our dirty laundry for the sake of doing so. I think, it, I think it's an expression of trust in this statement that G Jesus didn't come to condemn us. He came to set us free. So that's just true. And now uh, when we risk transparency, we actually aren't judged the scripture says that uh, we deserve judgment, but God looks on Christ instead and what he did, which is amazing news. And so we actually have no reason to not be transparent with him, and actually, by extension, the people around us, because he should be defining us, not the people around us. And so we get to be transparent with the people around us, because even if they don't do a good job of handling it, I'm actually responsible to Christ to be transparent for him. And sometimes he calls us to be open and real in our actual real-world relationships, because it's a little trickier. And it requires, I think, a deeper trust in him. So that's just true. The second one is we have to be honest about our beliefs. Like we just, we, we have to identify them and be honest about what we're actually believing right now. So this is, this is what I mean by that, is it's, it's different than just confession. So I don't know about you, but I, I, confession kind of makes sense to me because we all do bad things. And then, uh, uh, you know, you picture that confession of like maybe like a Catholic church or something and you show up and you sit in the thing and then you just tell someone all the bad things you did and then you just do that forever. 
uh, and you pay, I don't know, you pay a penance back in the day, and you just go and confess all the bad stuff. So that's kind of like risking transparency, I guess. But here's what's a little trickier. What's trickier is to go, uh, to, to, to confess the lie you're believing that contributed to that bad behavior. So it's one thing to go, oh, here's all the sins that I committed, and I'll really try hard not to do those again. What's, what's more difficult is to talk about the beliefs, or the lies, driving those behaviors. That's a better exercise. Because I, I promise you, at the source of all the sins in our lives that break relationship, there's some lie that we're believing, or various lies that we're believing that aren't God's truth, that are driving those sinful expressions of trying to make that lie, like, I don't know, work for us. So just as a re recap, I'm going to put the scary diagram back on the board of the cycle of separation, and I'll, I'll, take, I'll take us through this again, okay? So I know if you weren't here last week, this might freak you out. If you're here last week, maybe you're feeling a little better about it, but I'll walk us through using the Garden of Eden example again, just so we're all on the same page, okay? So uh, you have an experience in the Garden of Eden where the serpent says to Eve, uh, uh, you know, you can be like God. He says a lie to Eve. He says, you can be just like God. You can be a better God than God. You can be in control. You can know good and evil. He says, you can be like God. That's what he says. So the, the belief that, that Eve believes is, oh, I can be like God, and it's better for me to be my own God, basically. Uh, then it says the feelings is, I was afraid, <laughs> instantly afraid of that. Kind of makes sense. If you're now God, that makes it stands to reason that you're afraid. And then the behavior is I hid, right? I was afraid, so I hid. And then the experience is distance from God. And then now we believe that he's not there. And now the feelings is now we have to, now we blame him. And like there's this cycle of separation that happens that all stemmed from this little lie that wasn't true that said you can be a better God than God. And then the cycle just kind of is like a toilet bowl. And the end result is you're further and further and further from who God is. Because of this little genius lie. Isn't that lie just so genius? It ticks me off because there's only ever really been one <laughs> from the beginning of time. So you can be a better God than God. And it makes sense. And we kind of go, you know what? Maybe I could. And then we wind, we wind up separated. It just breaks my heart. So I'll use an example of this. And uh, oh, one more time. I'm going to use the example of, of betrayal in, in my own life. Uh, and so there, there have been times where I felt in my life as though there's just been like a seed of, of betrayal. So what we're doing right now, by the way, just to catch you up, the reason why I'm doing this is because I really want to help us uh, identify the lies that are driving our sinful behavior. Are you with me? Uh, we're not talking about the expressions of sin right now, the way they, they flower. We're talking about the lies that drive them. Okay, the seeds of them. Like, you can be a better God than God is an example of one. Okay, this is what we're trying to do right now. So, I'm going to use the example of betrayal. That is my experience. Is I'm just, I'm betrayed. Uh, by a friend. And uh, here's the lie that the enemy whispers to me in that moment. Okay, there's two key ones. I wrote them down. It's hard to write them down because they're really, they're, they're the ones in my life. Wow. Uh, the lie that he whispers to me when I'm betrayed is, you aren't enough. If you were just a little bit kinder, if you were just a little bit of a better leader, if you were just a little bit more administrative, if you were just a little more fun, if your jokes were a little more timed well, if you planned a few more hangouts, if you, if you balanced the tension of community and mission a little better, then people wouldn't have left you. That's the lie, is you aren't enough. 
you f- are a failure. That's what I, that's what I, that's the, that's the genius lie whispered to me in the unfortunate ex- experience of being betrayed by someone, right? So now I have a choice in this moment. I can believe that lie or I don't, because I kind of know it's a lie, right? Like I know, I know it is. I know I'm enough because of all the blah, blah, blah Bible verses, but in that moment, there's something about believing, there's something about believing that I'm not enough that just makes sense for a second. And it feels good to believe that. I don't, I don't get why, but I'm like, that makes sense. I'm not enough. I can totally see how that's true. I can totally see how it's true. So then I just, I, I, for some reason, just plant that seed, that lie in here and go, all right, I'm not enough and I'm a bad leader. Great. Now what? <laughs> okay, well, first of all, I feel super inadequate. Like just now my skills don't measure up. I'm never going to be good at stuff. I haven't read enough books. I'm not, it's just inadequacy, that's how I feel. Just, wow, I don't deserve to be in charge of anything. Like, I am not enough. So I feel empty and alone and just inadequate. Stands to reason. So how do I behave? Oh, I just strive so hard. You just try. You're like, well, I'm for sure inadequate. So I'm just going to try so hard and I'm going to grimace and squint and just at all costs get better. I'm, the whole time, I'm trying to fix this betrayal thing. And it, like a couple steps later, I'm striving and like being mean and like abusive even. Or I'm just striving, like, come on, like, let's get on the same page. And I just use my own strength out of that lie to kind of get over my feelings that never should have been there in the first place. And so then what is my experience? <laughs> this is all very vulnerable to talk about. Um, uh, I feel inadequate. I behave like a bad leader, ironically. It actually becomes true. And then uh, my experience is that people keep leaving. Oh, and then I feel more betrayed. So then I'm even a worse leader. So now I gotta strive even harder. So now I'm, you see what happens? And all of a sudden there's just this distance between me and people because of this genius little lie that made tons of sense that I wasn't enough. So you can do this with any experience, by the way. Like any bad experience, like, just pick one that happened to you that was out of your control. Betrayal, abuse, gosh, uh, any circumstance that just is negative because someone else was sinful in your life. There's kind of a controversial thing to say is that uh, experiences, can't, experiences can really hurt, hey? But sometimes it's good to dif- differentiate between the difference between hurt and harm. Uh, I think we have a choice to believe God's true in the face of any experience no matter how bad. There's this crazy thing that we, I found out that, uh, did you know that nobody in Auschwitz committed suicide? Did you know that? There isn't a single documented case of suicide in Auschwitz. I'm like, of all places. That's nuts. Uh, that to me, is this, there's, something, there's something more powerful than experiences to shape your behavior. And I think it's what you believe to be true about a situation. Like, it's, truth is more powerful than experiences. Uh, we, I know that that's hard to believe. I have to believe that's true. Otherwise, you're just a victim of whatever comes at you. But we have a choice in this moment where I'm like, I was betrayed. What's true? We can stop and do that. It's really hard because it feels nice to believe lies sometimes. But we can stop and do that. So let's flip the thing. Let's talk about truth with my example. My experience is betrayal. Then I read some truth. I'm going to read one. This one I read a lot. We are hard-pressed on every 2 Corinthians 4, 8, 9. It's not up there because it's 
just mine. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. I am, I am not in despair. I am not abandoned, and I am not destroyed. Okay, so that's the truth now. How do I feel? Well, I feel, <laughs> I feel actually quite confident. And then those feelings of confidence based on what he's done and who he says that I am, I get to behave in all sorts of more helpful ways to people because I'm loved and accepted and not abandoned and I have nothing left to prove and I can be a way more healthy leader and then my experience is more and more reconciliation and fruit just because I'm not believing some lie. I believe in who God says I am. It's amazing how important truth and lies are. We, we're like in week two of this now. I just repeated myself from last week if you were here I, because it's so key. Truth is just so key. It's not facts that are interesting that you learn on a Sunday. They shape, they're this, that's how everything else flowers is based on what we believe to be ultimately true. I think I've made the point two weeks later. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, do I believe in you and your truth? It's quite a simple question. And what's fun is that this is kind of the little helpful tidbit for today is you can start to identify patterns in your life. This is a really helpful trick. If you want to know what lie you're believing, you can kind of just trace back sins to original lies and find patterns. And so if I'm like, oh, if the lie is, uh, if, I, if I just discovered through one of these trains of thought, through the betrayal train of thought, that I'm realizing that I'm not enough and God hasn't made me enough to do what he's called me to do, <laughs> this lie, well then the I'm not enough lie flowers itself in a whole bunch of other areas too. A whole bunch of other experiences. Career, Money, relationship, like the lie, oh man, the enemy's so genius, right? Because he uses one little experience to whisper a little lie to you that then ends up shaping dozens of other experiences. Lies are so powerful. So now that you are not enough and you are not enough lie is, this, is the beginning of my, my trains of thought in all sorts of circumstances that happen to me. So I think one of the t I often pray, I don't know about you, but I often pray, God, would you just change my feelings? Would you t uh, tweak my behaviors and would you give me better circumstances, right? Those are the things we pray for. Like, oh, help me feel better. Uh, they're not bad prayers. It's nice. But like, help me feel better, make me a better person, and don't let so-and-so do that mean thing to me again, <laughs> right? Just like the, the stuff, the expression, the top three. But very rarely do I pray, God, like center your truth in my heart again. That's a way better if we're, just praying, if we're just praying for those other things, we can still just be a slave to the lie and then wonder why God's not coming through in the feelings, right? Why aren't you fixing my feelings, Lord? Why, why isn't my behavior changing, God? I prayed for it. You're still believing a lie. You're still believing a lie that was like, is this beginning of all of it. Let's read some of, this, that's a lot of my own words. Let's read what Jesus says about this. Uh, kind of a long chunk, but I think it, it sums it up quite well. So you can read along with me. John 8, 31 to 37 says this. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we're Abraham's descendants and had never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? So they're still living in the world of circumstances, hey? Feelings, behaviors. We're not slaves. What are you talking about? Everything's fine. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. 
Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. Wow, like, there's kind of two options. Is Jesus back in the day in this scenario is going, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Arguably even more offensive than it is today, but, you know, competes. Uh, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He's not saying, I'm going to come bring you a better value set that fixes all the external circumstances. He's not saying, I'm going to set you free from some kind of slavery to your experiences like you were in Egypt. No, no, no. I'm going to set you free from you. I'm going to become your truth. The, my person is going to be the source of who you are now. You are a new creation. And he says, uh, yeah, you're looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for me in your heart. And we do it all the time. We just spit on him every time we sin. It's gripping. It's like, no, you're not enough. That wasn't enough. That wasn't enough. I'm going to believe this lie that's substantiated in zero except my own feelings. It's, 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 it's like killing him again. <laughs> what did he do all that for? It's gripping. So the question becomes, do you have room for him? He says, I am the truth. We got to, so to, to drive the point home, we got to identify our beliefs. We've got to be honest about what we're actually believing. And then the question just really becomes, do, you, do we believe that Jesus saves? Like, do we believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life? Do we believe that the things that he says about us are the things that we should believe ultimately? Because if not, then the gospel's in jeopardy in terms of its power, at least, in our life. We can believe it factually, but is it going to manifest itself in every day? It has a lot to do with the beliefs. And so my prayer has become this. Help me with my unbelief. What a sum-up prayer. Like, just help me with my unbelief. Don't, don't, I don't, I, I, sometimes I pray this, like, God, don't, don't fix my feelings. I need those. Uh, they're really negative and they're icky, and I don't take those away because it's helping me right now, actually. Don't fix my behavior because you're going to trick me into thinking that I can do it. Don't give me better experiences because I, uh, then I wouldn't need, have an example to find you. No, no, no. Help me with my unbelief in who you are. <laughs> That's what sets me free. It's what lets me give and receive love and life way better, helps me be a more loving person, not because of you're some magic genie that fixed everything in my life. It's because you became the source of who I was and you're the truth that I was anchored in. All right, that point is belabored. Third one. Uh, find better problems. <laughs> I really like this. I got to explain what this means. Um, truth is, is there's a lot of problems in our life that lies actually work really well to solve. Did you follow me on that? There's, there's a lot of, we can lower the bar of what we hope our life amounts to. So anything less than giving and receiving love fully. Right? That was what we were designed to have, fully in relationship, giving and receiving love with nothing. That was what we were designed to do. So if we lower the bar from that to like, a, so I write down some of my favorites, some of my lower bars, happiness. Should I just be happy? Like, I don't, this whole like freedom thing is like, I don't get that. This is really, sounds really hard. So I'm just, I just want to be happy. Forget the freedom thing, just happiness. Right? It's kind of a funny thing to say, but I say it all the time. Uh, you know what? Success. I, if, I was, if I'm just successful... That would be enough. Or if I'm just popular and have lots of friends, that, that's all I'm looking for. I'm not, I don't want to be set free from my sin. I don't want a transformed heart. Just give me friends, right? Just lowering the bar. Here's the thing, is that 
lies, the enemy is happy to tell you a lie that meets that agenda. Because it's not the point. It's not what you were designed for. And it ultimately, it ultimately leads to emptiness. We all know success leads to emptiness and popularity. And we all have the high school story. Happiness doesn't sat, right? Like we all know that those things don't really fulfill us in the way we were designed to be fulfilled. And yet, we're like, just give me that. And the enemy goes, fantastic, I can give you that. That's easy. Uh, you're not enough. That's what he'll say. You're like, oh, that's good news. Uh, great, I'll just work hard. If I work hard, I can become popular and successful. And I think, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe even happy. At least for a while, right? The lie that's destroying my life is the same one that I would believe if I was setting the bar at mere happiness or mere pleasure or mere success in this world or mere, I don't know, anything but relationship with my Father in heaven is what I was designed for. The lies work. So what do I mean by find better problems? It's just, those things aren't your primary problem. They're too small. They're not the ones we were made to fight for. So if those are the longings of your heart, just things less than love and relationship, the lies work. They do. So the better problem, um, well, I mean, just to say, it's uncomfortable to trust, right? So we just make our problems smaller and smaller. We don't like the trust. We don't like coming out of the darkness. We like the inside of our cocoon. We kind of like the lies. It feels good. And so, uh, and so we just make the problem smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until I can do it and until the lie that I believe in my life works to fulfill that thing. And you can always make the bar low enough where the lies work, I promise you. And it leads to sin. And the definition of sin in our church, which I really love, is it's anything that breaks relationship. And so we end up sinning. And the only thing the lie cannot give you is relationship. That I can promise you. Transparent, authentic, loving, unconditional love relationship. It's the only thing striving in lies won't give you. It'll give you immediate satisfaction. Oh man, the list of lies just goes on uh, of its benefits. But the one thing it doesn't give you is the thing you were designed for. It's kind of frustrating, isn't it? <laughs> so, I run into this all the time. I'll wrap up with this. I run into this all the time. Um, with people that, uh, that, that I talk to that, that don't know Jesus, that haven't, that haven't met him yet, and, and, and found this truth, right? And uh, I'll start talking about stuff that's like not, like not good behaviors or whatever. It's like, oh, yeah, so I'll talk about how, you know, I believe that, uh, you know, I believe that you shouldn't have sex before marriage or something controversial in the real world out there. And then, and then they're like, and I'm trying to describe how that is based out of a truth in my heart that I'm like trying to be a more loving person and like, but I'm just talking about some behavior and then it's really funny because those things are actually amazing solutions for the problems that the people I'm talking to are trying to solve. Like if your main problem is I wanna feel comforted and like not alone, sleep around. Like it, the lies work for those objectives. Of course we all know that, well many of us know the stats of what promiscuity leads in terms of its ability to create healthy marriages. And so, of course, the, like, we know that's what's going on in the background, but like, the lies work. So the things that I'm saying, stop doing that, they're like, no, 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 no. Those are solutions for me. Everything that you call sin, I call handy solution. And it's true, because I haven't given them a better problem. I'm just trying to clean them up. <laughs> and Christians do it too. We just, instead of rebellion and, I don't know, sleeping around to keep using the example, you'll just, we'll use religion as the other kind of sin 
to not need to trust God. And I'm like, well, I'll just strive. I'll just strive. So, um, the only thing sin and lies can't do is enhance relationship. And so as we progress in this area of truth, uh, and we, we keep diving into what truth is, the first thing I think we have to come to grips with is, um, uh, are we uh, courageous enough in the fact that Christ is not condemning, and he wants you to be transparent, and he wants you to come before him? Uh, can, we, can we risk that level of transparency to see what's going on in our hearts? Can we identify what the beliefs are that are driving our behaviors? And then can we shoot for things that actually require that level of self-checking? And like, can we, shoot, can we have the desire of our hearts to be like, God, I want to know you. Last week we talked about just this disaster of the garden story where Jesus is walking through the garden and what he says is, where are you? Like, it's the first thing he says. And it just breaks my heart every time I read it. Because he's not saying, what did you do? He's saying, where are you? I wanted to be, ah, I made this whole thing to know you and walk with you. And it's the only thing lies can't give us. So, uh, we've talked a lot about truth over the last little while. And I think that God's doing a work in our family of fighting for some truths that are sometimes uncomfortable to believe. The really simple things like Jesus is enough. And guys, if we don't, if that's what we're not anchoring this whole deal on, then I think that makes us not the church anymore. It makes us something else. It makes us like a club that tries to learn about something. It's like a class or something. Uh, that's not, the church isn't a class on better feelings, behaviors, and circumstances. The church is a place to preach the truth of who Jesus is that changes us. It's not worth all this time if it's just a class. So I think that's why we're fighting so hard and taking such a long time through this, through this series. It's like, man, I think truth is important. And man, I think it's the place we have to start if we're ever going to change and be transformed. I'll invite the worship team back up. Uh, and as they come up and get ready, I just want to pray for us. Um, Lord, I thank you for the opportunity that we've had over the last few weeks to uncover the importance of, of, of uh, Scripture and anything else you've given us to anchor our lives around. And Father, I thank you that what you're giving us today is not a better set of truths necessarily. You're giving us the, the person of who you are. So God, I pray that our objective would be pursuing you as a person. God, you said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Not this is the way, the truth, and the life. You said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So, Father, as we worship you now in response, and uh, as, we, as, we, as we fix our eyes on you, God, would you, would you be reminding us of the truths we need to hear? As we sing them out, that's, that's helpful, and we want to sing out these truths. And as we sing them out, would you remind them of how, how important they are to center around? So, Father, I just pray that, you would, you would, that the cry of our hearts would be just help me with my unbelief. Help me with my unbelief. It's the only problem that's ever existed. Help me with it. I don't believe it sometimes. I don't believe you and I don't trust you. But I know that it's, it's within my grasp because you're right here and there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we come before you and say, you're enough. Help me with my unbelief. We are children of God. What a beautiful truth to be reminded of this morning. And we pray that our worship would be sweet in response to the goodness and greatness of who you are and the truth that is just such good news. In Jesus' name.